welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Sharon Bay, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Carly Ceylon. Today, we'll be discussing Denver STAR, Denver Support Team Assistance Response Program, an alternative to police and frontline response. Hi, Carly. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Sharon. Yeah, thanks for having me. So for those who don't know, could you tell us a bit about the Denver Star program? Sure. Um, so Denver's support team assisted response pilot is a police response alternative program that pairs a licensed mental health clinician with a paramedic and they ride around on a repurposed van and respond to low level, um, low risk, low acuity 911 calls coming in through dispatch. Great. As I understand the responders themselves, it's a mental health practitioner as well as a paramedic. Is there any additional training involved, additional training on mental health or racial or cultural sensitivity? Uh, No, so there was no additional training. Um, The clinicians riding on the van are licensed clinical social workers, so are very well versed in behavioral health, crisis intervention, cultural competence. The clinicians on the van sort of trained up the paramedics who, you know, also obviously do community-based work on their ambulance shift, but sort of let the paramedics know kind of some additional skills and resources that they may be using on the STAR van. So it sounds like everyone involved in the response is obviously well-trained just in their professions themselves. How has the community response been to the program? It's been great. We had a very active community work group while building the pilot that shared input, you know, different stakeholders, community providers, people with lived experience. So that was extremely helpful when we were kind of developing this pilot. And then the individuals that were contacting on the van have just been really excited and said that this felt really supportive and was a great experience. We've been getting excellent feedback from the people we're contacting. That's excellent. This is kind of a new program. It's a pilot program still launched in June? Yeah, uh, we launched in June of 2020. Uh, we were working on it since about May of 2019, yeah, and then rolled out in June, and the pilot will run until June of 2021, and we're expecting to see full expansion citywide by that time. So a pilot program of a year duration and then plans for expansion. Can you talk a bit about the expansion or is that still in the works? It's still very much in the works, so I can't provide too much detail, but there's definitely buy-in from the city that, you know, we can really expect this to expand once the pilot's over. Can you speak a bit about the services provided? So what does the response look like from the moment you get the call in and to the response itself? Yeah, so we're dispatched through our 911 communication center and we carry radios. Um, So we're dispatched directly to the call and the star team shows up and, you know, wearing street clothes essentially and looking pretty unassuming and casual and basically just asking people how we can help them today, trying to be supportive, trying to build rapport with people, let them know who we are, um, what we do, and just sort of trying to find that creative solution in the moment to make people's day a bit easier or help them access whatever it is they they may need, which includes a variety of things. It could be connection to a community provider, a ride to a shelter, allowing them to charge their power wheelchair, providing snacks and water. We really kind of strive to be creative and outside of the box and really just meet people where they're at. 
Yeah, I love that it's so flexible in the response in that it's not just a structured response. How is the program funded? The pilot program funding was secured from the Caring for Denver Foundation, which was a tax initiative that was passed back in November of 2018 that placed a 25 cent on every $100 um, spent in Denver tax to go directly to, you know, basically provide seed money for new programs that focused on mental health and substance misuse. It passed with overwhelming majority here in Denver, which was great, really showed that our community was willing to sort of support this work. Um, and that's where we secured our pilot funding from. How about continued funding? Yeah, the um, the mayor uh, put aside some money in, in the 2021 budget to fund a star expansion. So there's definite buy-in um, from the city, um, you know, and obviously very tough financial year um, that they were able to find the funds to put aside to make sure that the star program didn't end once the pilot funding ran out. So I understand there's similar programs across the country. There's CAHOOTS in Oregon, there's Mental Health First in Sacramento, and there's even the Mobile Crisis Intervention Team here in Toronto, Canada. So a couple of those I know, CAHOOTS and MCIT in Toronto, have police collaboration or involvement. MH First operates entirely without police involvement. So you mentioned that there's a 911 dispatch. So yours is a police collaboration? So our 911 communication center is a civilian unit, but is under the umbrella of the Department of Safety. Um, but I think the important thing to understand about Denver is that this isn't the only crisis response that we have. We're really looking at creating a multi-layered crisis response and sending the right response when someone calls 911. So we do have a co-responder program that has been running since 2016 that pairs a licensed mental health clinician with a Denver police officer. And they ride around for, you know, the officer's entire shift and respond to calls coming in to the 911 system that have a behavioral health component. Um, so that team started with four clinicians and is now up to 32. So we already have behavioral health supports partnered with Denver Police. So STAR is really kind of the 2.0 version of that program. Working with the co-responder program for the past several years, we realized that a lot of the calls coming into the 911 system, they're not law enforcement in nature. They don't require a police officer. So how can we take those calls off of DPD's plate and you know use it as sort of a force multiplier for the police so that police can continue doing police work and take these low-level resource calls and public health calls and reroute them to a more appropriate team? There's no plans for this program to expand and eventually for that program to stop the one with police involvement. No, absolutely not. We want clinicians showing up with our police officers when that need is present on a scene. There are calls that come into the 911 system that involve a weapon or a criminal element and are more law enforcement in nature. And if there's a behavioral health component as well, we want a clinician on that scene to provide that trauma-informed lens and that clinical support when police do need to be there. And then STAR will take the calls where police or ambulance aren't necessary. I see. I see the distinction where there is a need for police presence in situations where safety may be a concern. And then there are obviously many situations where that's not the case. Yeah. In those situations, do you have measures to ensure the safety of the responders or the individuals involved? Or is that already vetted prior to dispatch? 
So our 911 communication center developed a decision tree to help triage the calls to the appropriate team. So that is vetted, you know, safety risk is already kind of vetted before STAR shows up. And we've run over 800 calls since June 1st, and we have not called for police backup on any of them. So you haven't called for police backup on a single case? Nope, not one call on STAR. We've been able to, you know, solve the problem and haven't run across any situations where we were unsafe or needed police cover. So I think that that shows that the 911 triage system is working very well. We're making it to the right calls. Yeah, that's excellent. In fact, this is the first I'm hearing of that triage system and it sounds very promising. Yeah, it's been excellent so far. Can you comment on whether this program was kind of a response to police brutality and interactions with police in that regard? Was this a response to that? It was launched in June 2020. Yes, and we had been working on it since May of 2019. Um, So this was in the works long before the events um, of this summer. You know, it did coincidentally roll out right as that unrest was sort of happening. And we were happy to provide um, what the community was asking for. But this pilot was in development for almost a year before we rolled out in June. It does seem so coincidental. But yeah, as you say, it's been in development. Yeah, so we went out to uh, do a site visit in Oregon with CAHOOTS um, and several, you know, members of the police department, um, myself, several community stakeholders went out and did that site visit in May of 2019. So that was kind of the first step in the process. Oh, so you've, um, the initial step was working with CAHOOTS and seeing their program? Yes, yes. And it really made sense to my coworker, my supervisor, Chris Richardson, and myself. And, you know, we've been running the co-responder program for several years and really saw this as an added layer of response in Denver. Really made sense to us. And you said there are multiple programs. So there's the program with the Denver police and a professional. There's the STAR. Are there any others? We also have Mobile Crisis, which operates outside of the 911 system, you know, that you can call directly and a clinician will come and provide support and assessment. So we do have crisis centers and mobile crisis along with our criminal justice programs. So really just comprehensive, multiple programs in a single environment. Yeah, it's, it works very well. And, you know, of course, we're always looking for ways to be um, nimble and flexible and respond to the need in the community. But we really do have a lot of options, whether you, you know, are calling 911 or not. Could you comment on not just this program, but all of these programs and these efforts, a change to frontline crisis? Why would you say that this change is necessary? I think, you know, we need to look at what has been put on the police's plate historically. Typically, when you don't have options for crisis response in your area, those calls wind up on the plate of police. And, you know, we have a long working history with DPD, a long partnership with them. um, And they, you know, understand that police response is not always what's needed and isn't always the right fit when someone's calling 911 because they need assistance or they see someone who looks like they're having a difficult time. And I think really sending the right response when someone calls 911 in a community is really important and allow police to continue doing police work and allow clinicians and behavioral health providers and medical 
medical providers to take those calls off of people's plates when police don't need to be there. It's a misutilization of resources. You know, sending police and ambulance to every single call is, is expensive and doesn't always solve the problem. So how can we make sure that people are getting connected to the right support so that they're not popping up on the 911 radar in the future? Something important to note is that, you know, the Denver police recognize that they're not always the right response. You know, Denver police started a program to partner with clinicians back in 2016, uh, recognizing that sometimes they can be a trigger based on people's historical experience with law enforcement and the criminal justice system. So we have a great partnership with DPD and, and are able to make sure that we provide a good outcome when individuals call 911, whether they're needing law enforcement or not. And I think that that's really the most important piece is getting people the right response. You've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma and Mental Health Report podcast. Thanks for joining us. Connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you at the next episode. 